Hello and welcome to this uh, impromptu Sonic Talk special. Uh, I'm here today. Uh, we're here to talk about Windows 10. As we know, this well, in the last week or so, Windows 10 has hit the hit. Well, I don't think it's hit the stores, but it's officially released. And uh, we've had a lot of interest in obviously the new capabilities with the Windows uh, Audio and MIDI APIs, as well as many other things. And I'm very pleased to say uh, hello to Pete Brown, who's uh, principal program manager at Microsoft, and is a kind of would it be fair to say you're an evangelist for the sort of audio and MIDI and creative side of Windows? Yeah, that's that's probably the main thing that I do as uh, talk about uh, audio and MIDI and and uh, work with customers and also try to do events and things like that. And I see behind you that you also have, uh, that looks like some kind of Moog synthesizer. Am I uh, correct in that? It's, the modular? Um, so, I wish I could afford the modular from Moog, but it's, uh, there's a great guy in France uh, named Seb who, do, who runs a company named MossLab, and I have a bunch of his Moog uh, recreation modules in there, plus a bunch of synthesizers.com stuff, and I uh, absolutely love it. Enormous sound. So you would seem to be the perfect guy in your job because you are obviously a music uh, creator and user and into synths, which obviously ties in very well with uh, the Sonic State side of life. Um, but at the same time, you're kind of so you're thinking about things from a musician and audio professional creative point of view. So that must be very, very useful as an asset to Microsoft, I'd imagine. Yeah, I we have a, a lot of musicians at Microsoft, you know, most of which are, are much better than I am. Uh, but we have, uh, you know, a, a bunch of um, mailing lists and stuff internally that are just packed full. You know, in, in a company of 100,000 people, you tend to get more than a couple of musicians uh, kind of in that mix. Uh, so I, I just happen to work um, at an, excuse me, an interesting intersection of being able to speak about this stuff and also work with engineering and then have enough knowledge to, um, I would say, to, to be able to speak intelligently about this without necessarily having a, a record or anything like that uh, to my name. Absolutely. Well, you first might have seen Pete. Um, uh, he does a lot of the presentation stuff, and there was a piece that we wrote back uh, a couple of weeks ago, at least, where uh, it was the sort of introduction to the Windows site audio API and MIDI APIs that you did at A3E, which was at Summer NAM. Uh, I think I might have a short clip here. Let's see. This was something that I, uh, you'll excuse that I downloaded it to Good do it. Morning, so this is Pete on stage doing his thing. And, and really, that was probably the first time that people had maybe thought about bringing that stuff into focus. Because as we know, in in uh, certainly in music and audio profession, people are quite conservative in many ways about changing their technology. I mean, obviously, you get some people who are on for the cutting edge, and then some people are actually, you know, will wait and wait and wait. I mean, hence, we've still got a load of people on Windows XP. I mean, what are you trying to do to bring those people on board? What's the kind of philosophy behind that? Why do you want them? Right. So, it, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, it, um, it's much bigger than just music, of course, right? So we're doing a lot of work that's kind of general purpose in Windows 10 to try to attract people that are used to Windows XP or used to Windows 7 and, and you know, the four or five people out there that are used to Windows 8. We're trying to get them all, like, on board in Windows 7 and make it something kind of comfortable for them. But at the same time, a couple of years ago, uh, we started doing a lot more work to um, kind of reboot what we were doing with musicians where... You know, we, we looked and we had some pretty good stories for musicians in XP, and then we kind of tailed off a bit in Windows 7, and then we've been really quiet about it for a long time. Uh, you know, we hadn't been talking to the manufacturers as much, we hadn't been talking to the OEMs, uh, and that's reflected at places like NAM. if you go there. It's, you know, mostly Apple devices where a few years ago that wasn't the case. And we realized that this is an area that we've just been ignoring for a while and that we needed to get back into it. Uh, and so... With the start of Windows 8, we started looking at 
you know, what can we do for musicians and what can we do for musicians, not just on, you know, at a DAW level, but also on phones and tablets and whatnot. Uh, and ended up creating an audio team specifically for music creation. And then another one that we uh, uh, did for video creation as well to really target this area and spend a long time working with people trying to figure out what we need to do here. And Windows 10 is really where most of that investment uh, uh, ended up showing up. I see. I mean, I noticed you put a little uh, quip in there about the, the few people that are using Windows 8. Windows 8. I mean, that seems like one of those uh, transitional OSs that we've had before, like uh, uh, Vista was the same thing. It was almost like a transition OS that you know brought people through. But do you, are you finding people are stopping at 7 for music creativity and not using so much Windows 8 then? Yeah, so, you know, anecdotally, and I don't have, you know, firm data to, to support this, so don't quote me on, on any of this, really, even though I'm being recorded here. <laughs> um, so Windows 8, uh, we had, you know, a lot of pushback on Windows 8 because it was very much a tablet-focused UI for that. So right. for a lot of the musicians that we spoke to, that just wasn't what they were interested in. They were at a desk, on a laptop, using a mouse and keyboard. Uh, they wanted something that was optimized for that workflow. And, and Windows 8 just, quite honestly, wasn't that. In 8.1, we did a number of things to try to make that easier, but still, it was still kind of the two worlds of, you know, the, the full screen uh, applications versus the traditional desktop applications. And so even though we had done a lot of work behind the scenes to make the OS better, that was really kind of putting people off. So, you know, Windows 7, we kind of went back, changed a bunch of that, made it better for people on mouse and also good for people on tablets. Uh, and then that's why we're getting, I think, a lot more attention now. And that's why musicians are, you know, paying more attention to what we're doing in Windows 10 as well. Yeah. Do you think that now, I mean, Windows 10 feels like it's a real, it's a bringing together of a lot of things into a kind of uh, much more, because I mean, obviously in the past, Microsoft has been seen you know, more fairly or not as a sort of more of a business type of OS, which I think is, you know, it's not strictly true, of course, but I mean, that's the, the legacy, I guess, of the company more than anything else. So you have to work quite hard to kind of bring that whole notion of uh, creativity there. But I mean, obviously, a lot of the uh, creative tools, certainly on video and audio, you know, run fine on PCs too. Is this, is this now, do you think this is the sort of the first time that it's really kind of come together quite so uh, effectively? You know, so obviously I have a bit of a bias here, right? But absolutely, sure. I think Windows 10 is uh, uh, where we've, we've gotten it right. And more importantly, I think Windows 10 is good because even if we didn't get it 100% right with this initial release, we've now set up a process where we can continually roll out updates and make fixes over time at a much faster pace than we did before, right? Uh, so being able to add new features in or change stuff over time as we hear back more feedback from our customers is a really big deal. And that's actually why... So Windows 8 um, was developed more quietly behind the scenes. You know, we just sort of popped it on people at one point and said, hey, here's Windows 8. Uh, we really like it. Try it out. Where Windows 10 was, I think our first release to insiders was back uh, October or so a year ago. Uh, and we've had, um, you know, public releases of beta builds of that pretty continuously over the past, uh, you know, three quarters of a year or so to make it so that we can get a lot more feedback. And a lot of things did change. Like there, you know, simple things like people said, oh, we want to have some aero glass because we really liked that about seven, you know, the transparency uh, in some of the uh, windows. So we added a bit of that back in. Uh, and then we added a, a lot of other stuff that was really, if you look at our internal bug tracking system, a lot of these you can trace back directly to things that were reported through the insiders. So as much as I like to say that, yes, this is the version that it all comes together on, 
Uh, I'd also like to point out that it comes together on that really only because we got a ton of feedback from everybody as they were using the operating system over the past year. Yeah, I heard there were something like sort of 5 million people involved in the in the kind of whole insiders uh, thing. Is that Am I right with that? I'm, I think I heard yeah, that. Yeah, I don't BBC. remember. It's a lot. Anyway. I don't remember the exact number. Yeah, Sorry, I don't remember the exact number, but it was in the multiple millions. It was a statistically significant number to be able to get, I think, pretty decent feedback on uh, you know how people are using the OS. And I know that there are some DAW builders and there were some um, you know custom PC builders that target, uh, uh, target musicians and stuff that were all part of that insiders program. So there was representation from the music community as well. Yeah, so I mean, there are very there are some specific features. I mean, obviously there are things like you know the, the start menus come back and just basic interface stuff. But in terms of, have you got actually we got a screenshot of Windows Ten there, which is looking very uh, sure. moody, and uh, I believe that there might even be there we go. There, there's a start. There's a start menu. Cool. I mean, it's modified. It's got bigger, but you can kind of. It's, it looks like a, it's sort of like a hybrid between the. Uh, I, I guess it's like the active desktop of uh, Windows 8.1 and the start menu. So that gives you kind of the best of both worlds, I guess. Yeah, and you can you know you can resize this and do a lot of stuff with it. So I happen to have mine kind of large right here because I'm normally running this screen at a much higher resolution. Right. Um, but you get a decent decent amount of customization over this. And yeah, it's got uh, you know all of your normal applications are over here on the left, and you know I can see all of those and navigate between them. So if I want to look at um, let's see, is uh, actually let me look under I think. Steinberg there. It all depends on how they name their folders and stuff. Sure. For this. But you know, I can get to Steinberg, uh, you know, in Cubase here and, and navigate through that easily with the letters. And then I've got all the, the Windows Store applications over on the right. But I also have my desktop applications here as well. And then we've added the ability to make these tiles smaller. And, and tiles are something that are very controversial. People tend to love them or hate them. Um, but we've tried to make them as customizable as possible so that uh, you, know, you can have different sizes. Like the photos tile I have here is quite large, whereas I've got uh, MIDI, MIDI Ox here, which is quite small, and Audacity is quite small because I don't need a label on those. Yeah, you recommend. And then you can control the colors and everything. I, I'm, I'm experimenting here with more of a toned down, like it's just gray on gray, so that the colors don't have um, you know too much of a pop. But on my surface, I use a much more colorful scheme for that. Right, I got you. So uh, specifically under the hood, I mean, obviously the you, the presentation that you gave uh, in New York was uh, sorry, no Nashville. What am I talking about? I guess you probably travel all over the place. It's all the US, right? It's all the US. <laughs> yeah, right. Just one side of the, the states or the other. Very specifically, you know, you really are kind of working there. Well, there are three main things I can I can see. There's obviously the the new MIDI APIs. There's the audio APIs, and the fact that we've got this 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 sort of notion initially of uh, reserving cores for specific aspect, and also the parity across platforms. So we're talking, you know, tablets, phones, and desktop machines, right? Right. Um, so let me let me start with the last one first. Uh, what we've done in Windows 10 is uh, we've made it so exactly the same operating system uh, runs across all of our devices. So, uh, you know, I have a desktop PC here that runs Windows 10. I have a Surface that runs Windows 10. Uh, the phone runs Windows 10. Uh, I've got a Raspberry Pi 2 that runs Windows 10. Uh, Xbox will run Windows 10, etc. So we've made it so that that same operating system build runs across all of those. Now, that doesn't mean they all have the same user interface. It means that they have the same operating system behind that. Now, the, the user interface is uh, kind of tailored for each device because what you do on an Xbox versus what you might do sure. on a phone or PC you know, is a little different, and how you interact with that is a little different. Um, 
at the same time, we've made it so that all of the APIs, you know, the, the, the things that programmers write to on the operating system are also identical across all of those. So uh, if you're going to write an application that runs on the phone, that same application, if you've targeted, uh, you know, Windows 10, will also run on your desktop if you want to. And we've made that so that it doesn't have to look like a phone app when it runs on your desktop. So one of the things that we showed at uh, our build event is uh, a technology that's going to be coming here soon with uh, kind of the newer class of phones that we have, where you can take your phone and say, bring it into like a hotel room or over a friend's house. And because we're running full Windows 10 on there, and because phones are actually incredibly powerful today, you could hook that up to say like a Bluetooth keyboard and a display and have your full PC experience on that display. So you, if you're doing something that is, um, you know, we, the example we use is Excel, which is probably not the most exciting example, but it's pretty practical, uh, where you know, if you're editing something on the phone and you have a very constrained UI, when you bring it to that place and then pop it up onto the TV, the application can automatically adapt and give you that full experience like you would have on a desktop because it's the same APIs and the same applications running across every single platform. And then the developers just need to either use our built-in stuff that will adapt it to different uh, form factors, or they can fully control that so that they can present a unique experience across each. So that's, that's something that I'm actually really excited about because it makes it so much easier for developers to be able to say, I'm building a Windows application. I don't have to think about it as being a phone app or an Xbox app or anything like that. That's that the, must be taking a lot of work. Yeah, that sounds that, that's yeah. quite because that's the holy grail parity across platforms. Really, I mean, even if they are the same OS, obviously, but yeah, we started that with eight and eight one, where we did um, like the phone and and PC were uh, use the same OS, and then we brought um, you know the Xbox One is running a flavor of Windows eight, but finally getting them all online has been an absolutely enormous effort inside the company, and it's it's really kind of the biggest thing with Windows ten, I think. Wow. Now you'd mentioned the audio and MIDI API. Yeah. Right? Um, so the MIDI API I'm, I'm very interested in. So we've, um, we've had a number of MIDI APIs over the years, um, but none of them were available across all the different devices. So now we have a MIDI API that uh, is universal across everything so that you'll be able to use it with the phones and, and uh, again, PCs, desktops, et cetera. Uh, and it's available to everything that runs on those. And we've done some bug fixing behind the scenes on that that um, helps eliminate some of the, the jitter that we're seeing. Now, it, it's still MIDI over USB for, um, you know, for this first run, so you're going to get some jitter as a result of just how USB works. Um, but we've <clears throat> excuse me, taken care of some things. Like, for example, we found a bug where uh, if you hit a chord, right, uh, we were sending the notes out one after the other as discrete messages instead of sending them all out over USB as just kind of one message. Right. right? So that'll help with some of the jitter there for sure. And then um, it's also something that we had to kind of re-architect to be able to support some of the big requests that we have coming up. Like Bluetooth MIDI is the single biggest MIDI request that we have from all of our partners and manufacturers. Uh, if you, uh, you were at NAM, right? So uh, there are a lot of Bluetooth MIDI devices available there. And that's really one of the big things that everybody was talking about. Uh, so we want to make sure that moving forward, we had a platform that we could use to support that. And so we're doing a lot more with that. So the, this first release, I think, is pretty much, uh, it's MIDI, it's got some improvements, but it's very similar to what's out there today. Um, and it is available for use by DAW manufacturers and everything, so we're, we're talking to them about implementing this um, so that they're able to you, 
like if we add routing in or something in the future, or if we add uh, kind of MIDI virtualization, or if we add in, you know, Bluetooth, that they'll be able to just automatically take advantage of that. Um, just quickly, one question came up in the chat room about the about will the USB MIDI be available on the phones as well, which is an interesting point. Right. So the um, it does require some new phones because the current crop of phones don't support um, host USB host. Um, but yes, uh, absolutely, we're making sure that that's going to work on the phones as well. It's one of the big use cases that we have for that. Is we want to make sure that you can do some interesting things with MIDI on there. Uh, there was a, one other. Sorry, sorry carry on. No, uh, there was one other question about Sys, uh, SysX, which uh, I know that perhaps wasn't handled in perhaps quite the same way. That was uh, Jason Durbin, who's a regular content, uh, uh, contributor to the site, and he was wondering about whether or not it would handle, um, you know, SysX to support handling legacy synths because he programs a bunch of. Uh, editors that use that, I think. Right, yeah. So SysX is definitely supported. Uh, and then the other big thing that we added to that is um, multi-client support so that multiple applications can talk to it at the same time, which um, is actually very helpful with SysX because if you're doing, uh, you know, it's kind of a patch dump from one thing, but you're using a controller for, you know, in another application, having them both be able to share the same interface, which seems super logical, but it's just simply never been supported uh, in Windows before uh, is, is a good idea. And that's so that's something that we've got there. Um, but it does require that in order to share that interface, that multi-client support, that we get all the people over to the new interface to be able to to do that. So if you're an application is still using the old Win32 MIDI interface and another one is using the new one, they can't share the port. We need to get them all onto the new one. And so that's why we're working with with all the, the major DOM manufacturers to get that done. And is that the sort of thing that um, people can sort of pick up and pull? I mean, I'm guessing, you know, if you've got someone who's got a legacy app and they think, oh, I should maybe update it, but then they're no longer perhaps a Microsoft developer or whatever the relationship needs to be. How, how is access to this API level stuff controlled? Yeah, if, if the code is kind of dead in that application and they're not updating it, unfortunately, we can't do anything there. Um, we really need to have uh, companies that we work with that are doing, um, you know, kind of new work or willing to retrofit some stuff in. The API is incredibly simple, so getting it put into applications is very quick, as, you know, we've talked to some already and they found they can get it in in just a couple hours in an afternoon. Um, but they do have to have access to the source code. So anything that's really old that's that's not being updated, unfortunately, we can't do anything with. Sure, no, I understand that. And when you say multi-client, um, will it also address multiple MIDI interfaces at the same time as well? Yeah, so you can have um, multiple MIDI interfaces today, and that's fine. Um, but uh, multi-client is more about making sure that, like, I've got... Um, I've got a couple of Motu MIDI interfaces that are, you know, they're, they're like eight in, eight out type of devices. It would be nice to be able to share them between, say, an editor that you're not running in the DAW and like Cubase or something like that. And so this will now support that. Right. So it's like internal busing effectively is, is kind of what we're talking about here through the API, right? That kind of just for the simpleton. like Yeah. And <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like that. Um, but it's also giving us like... We've been asked a lot about MIDI routing and renaming and, and things like that. And so we've got some infrastructure there that we're hopefully going to build on in the future, depending upon the type of feedback we get over this, where we can do a lot more with virtualization of MIDI and um, making things look like a single interface or naming things in a way that's useful. I have a ton of synthesizers and I try to uh, you know, most of my stuff is actually packed away while I'm renovating my office, but uh, I try to dedicate them each on their own MIDI port instead of, uh, you know, a specific channel on a MIDI port. And I'd like to be able to name that like 
um, you know, this one I'd like to name Monopoly and this one I'd like to name something else and um, not have to think about that in the future and just have a standard setup that all the apps share. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking at those things in the, in the future as well. I've just got quickly before we perhaps move on to another subject. There's a few questions that have come up, uh, which are quite interesting. Um, Audio Nerd says in the chat room, so is it going to be possible to run a DAW on uh, an Xbox One, for instance? Um, that's actually a scenario that I've been talking to different companies about to see what, what they think. Not so much... Like I can't really see somebody navigating a DAW with you know a, an Xbox controller or, or like connect you know like moving things around like this. I don't think is probably going to happen. Um, but there are some really neat scenarios for um, kind of living room group production of music and um, also kind of like party DJ stuff. But I'm really interested in the the idea of collaborative music production in the living room where people are all connected to an Xbox somehow. Uh, and just kind of jamming instead yeah. of dealing with a PC. And there are some companies that are that are interested in that, and they just never really thought about it before because they think of Xbox as games, and they don't. And they think that if they're going to do something for the Xbox, it's got to be totally different from what they do with the PC. And that's no longer the case. So the risk to them is pretty low. Right. Gotcha. And the other thing was, uh, does that mean also? And I'm not aware of it because I work mostly in the. Uh, I don't tax my MIDI devices. At, too much what's the limitation is the limitation of the number of midi devices that be connected been removed because i know that there was one uh pre in previous windows there there's kind of a, a weird usb thing that was going on that i think we have solved but i'm certainly happy to to hear back um if we did or didn't uh fix that where there was some stuff in the registry that was getting filled up if you disconnected or connected too many devices back and forth where the the main issue that stems from is USB devices are supposed to kind of identify themselves uniquely. Right. It's sort of a soft part of the standard. But if you've ever unplugged a device and then plugged it into a separate port uh, on your PC and then had it reinstall the driver, that's because the device isn't uniquely identifying itself. And there's not a whole lot we can do about that. Um, what we can do is you know, eliminate the problem where if you do that too many times, something gets filled up internally. I think we have that, um, but I, I, ah, I can't I see say 100%. Sure. I see what you mean, yeah. Uh, okay, and I think the, um, there was was there one other. Uh, it's gone past. It's gone past. I'm sorry, uh, but I mean the other thing that's quite interesting about this also is you're allowing people access to sort of th to, to the granularity of like buffers that sort of thing. I mean that's quite a big deal in terms of what what people can access in terms of developers, right? What does that right, mean? So, um, so talking about audio, I think at this point, right? Ah, or are you okay. talking about the MIDI buffer? Yeah. Uh, so we have uh, so on the MIDI side of things, you can access all the raw bytes, and that's all in there. And then we've also made it easy for developers to have strongly typed classes, so it's super simple for them to spin something up in their code and, and use that. Most of them already have code that uh, fills out the two byte messages and stuff, so that's not a big deal for them either way. Uh, now on the audio side of things, we have done a lot for. Um, manipulation of buffers and making it so that drivers, uh, and this is, uh, you know, WDM drivers, we'll talk about ASIO in a second, uh, you know, so Windows driver model stuff, things that use Wasabi um, can specify that uh, they support like a really small buffer. And so the driver can now tell us, here's the minimum buffer size I support. Uh, and then we can, you know, offer that up as an option inside the API level. And what we found is on certain devices, we're actually getting near ASIO. I, and, and I'm going to preface that with kind of not scare quotes, but quotes anyway, uh, near ASIO performance on kind of our initial 
um, work on some of this where, especially with upcoming, you know, Intel Skylake stuff and onboard processors there, uh, we're getting pretty decent performance without having to use an external audio card. So what this means is, this is not so much for DAW folks today. I mean, 99% of people doing stuff with DAWs today are using ASIO. I've got a bunch of stuff here. I use ASIO for that. But what it does mean is when you're kind of in that untethered mode, if you have a, you know, a tablet with you or, or importantly you have a phone with you and you're running some of the apps like what people would run on an iPad versus what you would run on a full uh, a full desktop, that these applications are now able to take advantage of pretty low latency across all these devices. And so that was a lot of work. You know, we added that. So there's the driver part of it. We also added in APIs where um, a developer can very simply say, give me the lowest possible latency. They can specify if they want, but they can just say, tell, you know, get whatever the lowest possible latency the driver reports is stable and use that. And then so applications are able to, to very so easily. So it's self-diagnostic self in many ways. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Now, what we don't have in there and we've been asked for is um, information back on actual like round trip latency reporting. So APIs that can come back and say, here is my actual latency. Right now we're, we're trusting the drivers to say, you know, here's, here's my buffer size and the latency. They don't tell us the actual number of milliseconds of latency for that, just really the buffer size. But we're really, we're getting, you know, below 10 milliseconds on onboard stuff on a number of devices and this varies greatly by device so you know if you don't get that on your particular pc or something um it may simply be that that device isn't uh isn't going to do that yeah i guess yeah. I, I just wanted to come back briefly to midi because there was a question that i forgot to ask okay. which I, I wanted to get in there and it came up in the chat room as well midi over network um such as wi-fi and something like you know tobias erickson's rtp midi is that going to be supported or is it indeed supported already because that's a really powerful tool for working between actual hardware devices and controllers and that sort of thing yeah so that's uh that's very interesting to us we don't have it supported yet um, we're, what we're hearing from all the partners that we're working with is they prioritize Bluetooth MIDI support over that, um, right. just based on the types of things that they're doing, which it took me a while to understand that because it's funny, we spend all these years talking about, we need to reduce latency, we need to reduce jitter, we need to like make sure that all these things are totally playable, and then we throw Bluetooth into the mix, which kind of blows all of that out of the water because Bluetooth is comparatively very high latency and also very high jitter. Um, but nevertheless, there's a lot of stuff that's that's coming and a lot of stuff that's already in the market that's very interesting from a Bluetooth standpoint. And back at um, at uh, Winternam, uh, we were participating in the Bluetooth and MIDI SIG, and we were talking about you know what we're going to do to ratify kind of an official Bluetooth MIDI standard. Uh, and that really started a lot of the work that we're doing there. So I, I would expect to see Bluetooth MIDI come up as probably the next thing. Uh, and then, yes, we are looking at RTP MIDI and, and things like that, but we're not hearing as much of a call for that as we are for Bluetooth. Perhaps just me then, because actually this entire show, all of this business is uh, is using RTP MIDI as well. So I have a vested interest there a little bit. I, I mean, and I think it's really good. Uh, you know, our, I want to be able to, you know, have this guy be untethered and just do, you know, use it as a controller and stuff when I'm uh, when I'm working. So yeah, absolutely. And I think that sort of transport is 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 ideal for that sort of thing. And I agree. I mean, I I still don't get the Bluetooth thing myself. It's convenient because it's no wires, I guess, but it's just not that fast. I mean, you know, it's getting faster, I guess, but uh, that needs new generation actual Bluetooth stuff, really, isn't it? And in the hardware. Um, right. And oh, sorry. 
So, but, but just to be clear, so we're not throwing RTP MIDI or any of the other stuff away. It's still definitely something we're considering. It's just um, not as high on the list as some of the other things we're I, talking about. I, I mean, I should say that RTP MIDI works on Windows. I mean, it is, it's not like it doesn't work. It's just that it's not built in at OS level. I mean, the, the way that it's implemented is fairly straightforward. It's just, it, I think it runs as a service or something. So it just kind of shows up other clients and that can work uh, with you know Mac which has got RTP kind of stuff built in as well. So just just for for the information of the viewers there, I guess the, the the one of the points they raised about the fact that it's coming and there'll be updates. I mean, obviously there's a big um, change in the way that you're uh, updating the OS. I mean, as in the fact that it, it's kind of you're pushing stuff out to clients, and you know that's the sort of thing that makes people kind of go <gasps> because obviously you know you got a working system, you kind of get a bit worried that something might come along and make it not work. How are you going to manage all of that stuff? So I'm going to leave right now. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> so uh, actually, let me let me just add one more note about something else before we go there. But sure. that's a, a very important place for us to go. Um, the core isolation we didn't really talk about. Ah, uh, yes. You had brought up right. So um, and I, I want to make sure folks understand how this works as well and, and what we're doing here. Uh, so what just, we've done as part it, of that. Go ahead. I was just going to say um, the the fact that you're now allowing the OS level to reserve at the moment a core specifically for application to do its thing on, right? Right. And so this is something where, again, this isn't something that's going to impact DAW users right now. This is also the same thing. You know, it's built around WDM and, and Wasapi. So it's built around more of our store applications, tablet applications right now. Uh, we're using that as kind of an experiment to see how this goes. But um, everybody knows that DPC latency is something that they are uh, always checking for in Windows, and, and a DPC is a deferred procedure call. So what happens is um, a well-written driver will kind of interrupt the system every so often and do this DPC, but it'll get its work done very quickly. Um, a driver that's not so well-written or that has very high latency, and these are typically you know, Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or things like that that have to wait on some sort of external resource or something, um, they can have very high latency. And the longer that they um, kind of take up that procedure call time, the more likely it is that your audio or other things that are on that same core are going to glitch. And so there are plenty of tools out there you've seen that are able to show those spikes. And we're actually, we have a number of tools that we are releasing that lets people diagnose these themselves. We've had them for a long time, but they've been mostly targeted towards people building PCs. And so we're trying to make sure that everybody has that information. And we'll be writing up some posts on how to use that. But the, the core isolation right now is a single core. And what that means is, if you have um, a tablet with two cores or four cores or something, if we can, and if the driver and the application have opted into it, which, which they need to, it's not an automatic thing, um, we will dedicate that single core to all the audio processing for that application. And that means it's not going to have Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and other stuff on that same core. So you're not going to have those DPC spikes. And so we're trying this out. And... and so it's more for, it's more for well. mobile devices at the moment, but where yeah. performance is it's, it's really for tablets and and phones and things like that. But if this works out really well and this turns out to be something that the DAW developers think will be good for them going forward, we're going to adapt this to um, try to make it something that uh, that can be used across the board. Now, but not to a single core because that's simply not enough for a DAW. Right, I gotcha. Um, now, uh, since I'm not going to get away from it, uh, you had the question about, <laughs> about updates, uh, updates. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, one of the things, one of the pieces of feedback that we have gotten from all of the major software manufacturers is 
they don't like having to support a 12-year-old operating system with their products. So if you think about it, Windows XP was on market and supported for like 12 years, yeah. which is an absolute eternity for software, right? Yeah. And the part of the problem with that is that, that folks didn't want to update, right? So maybe we didn't release stuff that was compelling enough to update in some cases. But more often than not, uh, what happened is folks just like, there's no inertia for updating. Like they don't necessarily know what's coming for other features. They don't know what's in new products. They don't know what the security is for later versions of the OS. They just, they've been sitting on, uh, you know, it, like my mom has been sitting on a, you know, Windows 7 machine for ages and ages and ages and something like that. And she just doesn't realize that there are updates out there. And so a lot of people just simply weren't getting not just OS updates, but also they weren't doing security updates. They weren't getting their antivirus updates patched and everything where uh, they would just keep deferring the updates for different things. And so that so that's a real issue for us because one, it's a stability issue where, um, you know, all these folks are running PCs that are not necessarily stable because they're unpatched, they're not safe, they're on the internet, and that's a real concern for us. So that's issue number one. And issue number two is what all the developers are telling us, where they want to be able to use these latest and greatest features, but nobody's got them on their desktop because everybody's running something that's 12 years old, so they can't use these latest features on there. So what we've been trying to do, and I'm not going to say that we got it right here. You know, I, I mean, that's really for other people to decide. But what we are trying to do here with the updates is to make it so that, um, one, everybody's machine is always patched and up to date. So there's the security part. And two, the new features are available in a large number of these machines so that developers are able to take advantage of that uh, and be able to use those in their applications. So, for example, um, when we release Bluetooth MIDI, which it seems like that's going to be one of the next things we release. When, when we release that, having that available instantly or in a very short order on all these different machines means that developers can count on being able to use those APIs inside their applications and that functionality right. as opposed to having to wait forever or say upgrade to the next OS and whatnot. And this is, sorry, th uh, this is very different for us because we're we've always done kind of the three-year cycle of major OS upgrades where um, if you want to upgrade to the major OS, it's, it's a process, right? You're, you know, it's, it's a massive update. It's a pave your machine. It's sort of like an event. And we're trying to remove that whole event from it and just make it much like what people get, um, would say like a, a lot of times with their phones and whatnot, where they just get features trickled down to them. I guess the thing is, I mean, really, it's not it, it's not always just about that because obviously, uh, I think as uh, Waveform in the in the chat room says, sometimes driver updates are the things that hold you back from upgrading your system because you're using something that is part of your workflow, certainly creatively. And if there's nothing available yet, that that's one issue. And also, uh, I, I wonder whether or not d will this be an opt-in? I mean, obviously, default is on, but will it be? A, will you be able to say, actually, I don't want any updates. Can I just hold where I am? You know, keep me informed and I can choose what I want to install. Or, you know, if somebody, if, if for instance, you've got an app that wants to use Bluetooth Media, it says, hey, you, you need to update to this. All you have to do is click here. I mean, you need, is there going to be that level of integration? So the, um, the driver thing is interesting because uh, one of the problems with that is um, a lot of the manufacturers just not taking us kind of really seriously with a new OS release. So one of the ways we've been trying to deal with that and we're not 100% there, is to work with these companies to have something ready on day one. So, for example, this time, um, not so much on drivers, but if you look at the DAW uh, stuff, with the exception of, of Steinberg and Avid, who we're actually working with 
even today. Um, everybody, most of them have come out and said, hey, yes, we support Windows 10. And that's because we've been working with them for the past you know, number of months on that to try to make sure that they support. Where in the past, it's always been go wait a year. And I understand the same thing with drivers where we're, we're working with different companies like Roland and stuff to do those. But I know um, that can hold people back. Now, in terms of opting in or opting out, right now the way it is is if you're running uh, Pro, uh, you know, uh, Windows 10 Pro, you can defer the updates, but you can't opt out of the updates. Uh, the enterprise version of Windows 10 uh, which is, you know, kind of our one targeted more at businesses. Um, they have the ability to defer them in a, in a different way where they can opt out of them because usually they manage updates from a central server inside the business or something like that. But as it is right now, uh, and we're, we're getting a lot of feedback on this, so I don't have any knowledge that this is changing, but we are certainly hearing from a lot of customers that this isn't necessarily applicable, uh, applicable to all scenarios. Like, for example, the, you know, the, the studio scenario where you don't necessarily want to get an update in the middle of uh, you know, uh, recording an album or anything like that. Uh, we're 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 looking at that, but it's um, right now it's uh, you know it is a required update. I guess you could just cut, go offline, can't you? I suppose if you if you really don't want anything to happen, you just unplug the network, and you know that's that. I guess. Yeah, th there are some hacks that kind of get you around it with you know related to saying that it's a um, you know a metered connection and stuff like that. But you know, ideally, we don't want to have to go that route. You know, we're so, for example, when I spoke to one of the DOM manufacturers that I, I'm not going to name who, um, they said, wow, they really love this idea of these required updates. And the approach that they're thinking of saying is, if you don't have the updates, we're not going to support you. Right. Yeah, I and think that could a... work. I guess, I guess that only really works if you can get parity, if you get everybody to adopt, then, you know, then there's the impetus for it. But I mean, as we all know, updates aren't always perfect and not every single scenario can be uh, could be applied. So except for instance, if you release an update that maybe makes a kink in something else, you know, what's the procedure? Can you roll back? I mean, what's what's going to happen with that sort of stuff? Yeah, I mean, there's there's all the usual um, abilities to roll back and uninstall updates and things like that if they if they mess things up. Um, we're really, <laughs> I don't want to say we're perfect. We're really trying hard because uh, with this, we're asking you to trust us on these updates, and we understand that we haven't earned that trust yet. Um, but we're trying to to make sure that these updates don't hose machines. And sure. again, at the same time, we you know we are you know, hearing loud and clear that this isn't the right thing for everybody, uh, especially the, you know, the professional workstation market. So we're looking at that, but, uh, you know, we just don't have anything to, to share there just Okay. Um, one of the questions that's come up for Tom in the chat room, he's been very insistent about it, is do you think this is going to, that this parity across uh, devices, is, do you think, uh, are you hoping, I'm sure you are, that uh, this is going to mean we're going to see sort of more contemporary instruments and uh, instruments that, you know, we've frankly seen, traditionally up to now on iOS devices being sort of moved into the Windows 10 zone so that people can run them on those various devices as well. You know, I mean, obviously Prohello and Figure and Korg and all of those kind of guys who have make, right. been making cutting-edge stuff. Yeah, so some like Propellerhead and ImageLine and others we've been working with, and, you know, we already have a, a kind of a rough uh, version of Figure that's running on our stuff, and it runs on the phone, and it runs on Surface, and it'll actually run on your desktop as well, although that's probably not the, the greatest experiment uh, experience for something that's really touch-based. Um, but we're trying to bring more of those over, and one of the things that we have done is um, we've introduced this concept of a bridge from iOS where we have released an objective or we will release, excuse me, an objective C compiler for Windows. And we have a bunch of kind of shim libraries that um, make it 
I don't want to say make it simple, but make it much easier to port an iOS app over to Windows than ever before. Um, so we've got a, you know a lot of the stuff that you can use the same you know Xcode type things and the same iOS APIs, and then we map them to the appropriate Windows APIs under the hood. And then there are some things like the audio part of that. You would go 100% native because our our stuff doesn't map well to core audio, and also you want that to perform extremely well with absolutely nothing else in between. So that part you would write yourself, but we've tried to make it so all the other hard parts are going to be much easier to move over. And I know that there are a number of companies that are interested in that. Uh, and actually, I, I talked with Korg back at NAM and was talking to the developer of Gadget because Gadget's an absolutely amazing app on iPad. It does everything under the sky. And he was interested in the things that we're doing in Windows 10. So there, there's real interest there. And now that we have low latency audio on these devices, I think it's going to be much more likely for us to see um, these there. Uh, and just to let you know, part of my job is to go out and talk to these companies and try to get them to write the apps for Windows. So I do spend a fair bit of time doing that. Right, gotcha. Uh, one of the questions that's come up in, in the chat room is, uh, uh, is does this, the, are now all versions of Windows 10, Windows 10 going to be essentially 64-bit? Uh, no, I think we still support 32-bit, and of course, we need to support ARM for right, uh, phones gotcha. and, and devices yeah, like that. Okay, so we still have the same, like, like the Raspberry Pi version of Windows 10 runs on ARM because yeah, uh, sorry, right, Raspberry yes, Pi yes. runs a Broadcom ARM chip. Right, okay. Um, Pete, I, I really appreciate the amount of information you're, you're giving us at the moment. I know we've got a, a hard out. But, um, one of the other things that sort of repeatedly seems to come up is the notion of the take-up with Thunderbolt with Windows devices. And I, I, there seems to be a very gray area as to why or why not and whatever. Have you got anything you can kind of shed any light on that with us? Because obviously Thunderbolt has, is an impressive busing technology that uh, you know, many people would like to access, right? Yeah, this this was uh, very interesting because I had to school myself this year on on really what the issues are with Thunderbolt because I was hearing different things from different companies and internally, and I wasn't really sure what the what the deal was. Um, and so we talked to companies like Universal Audio and and others about you know what do they need from us to support Thunderbolt on Windows, and we also talked to Thunderbolt falls under our PCIe team internally, um, so we talked to them to find out what's available today and whatnot, and what it comes down to is. Um, Today, you can write uh, you know, a Thunderbolt driver, which is just a PCIe uh, driver, just like you would for, for anything else that plugs into the PC. Um, you can run that on Windows, and with the exception of hot plug and one other feature, it'll just work because it's really it's just PCIe over there. So technically, it works, and a couple of companies have made devices, I think it Link, maybe it was Lynx Audio and some others have made devices that actually work on Windows and do that, which is cool. Um, but uh, the kind of the, the hitch there is that we technically don't support it. So Microsoft has said that we don't support Thunderbolt on Windows, so a lot of companies are not interested in building something if they're kind of left on the hook if something doesn't work. And the reason we don't support it, and this is what it took me a while to learn this year, and, and quite honestly was pretty fascinating, we don't support it because um, as of today, and this is changing, um, but as of today, like you can take a Thunderbolt device uh, and plug it into a PC. And because a Thunderbolt device has direct memory access, that Thunderbolt device can read random areas of memory on your PC. And so if we officially supported Thunderbolt on PCs, and this was used in businesses or government, that's, a, that's just an enormous open hole where uh, anybody could create a, you know, kind of a hack dongle that they plug into the side of the PC, and they could read, you know, various passwords and encryption keys and things that are inside your memory 
uh, on your PC. And this was the same case in, in uh, OS X as well. Apple fixed this a couple of releases back, um, but this also existed in Firewire as well, where um, there's some interesting videos showing how to hack. And again, Apple's fixed this, so I'm, I'm not trying to take a dig at them. Um, there's some interesting hacks showing how to use Firewire or Thunderbolt to be able to completely own uh, an OS wow. 10 machine because you just you plug it in and, and it just it owns it. Um, and so we had we had to sort that out, and the teams are actively working on that. I think we'll have some things to say about Thunderbolt uh, in the the not too distant future. As of right today, it's not supported, but it is probably number one on the list of things that we want to get out there. Now, when we're looking at Thunderbolt, we're mostly looking at it from the perspective of USB-C, which is really kind of what's going, uh, you know, really kind of the the, the means of moving forward there, where. Uh, instead of having necessarily dedicated Thunderbolt ports, you have a USB-C port which can have Thunderbolt, can have USB, and can have other things attached to it. And Thunderbolt is just one of the modes that that works on. Right. So, you know, those things are all all investigation there. But uh, it was fascinating to me to understand the security implications of a Thunderbolt device uh, and being so open. Uh, PCIe can do the same thing, but it's obviously the barrier to opening up a PC and sticking a card actually into it is much higher. Right, I see. So it's, it's about direct memory access. Laptop. Right, okay. That's really yeah. interesting. I did not know that, and that is the first time I've had that clarified. That's really uh, uh, interesting. But as you say, um, there are plans to try and support that, so that could be good news for people who want to kind of, they just need maybe a widget to go from USB 3.0 C into uh, Thunderbolt, and then those things may well be supported, assuming there are drivers, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the drivers for that, um, that's one of the things we've been talking with different manufacturers for as well, where I always thought the issue is that we didn't have some sort of driver inside uh, the PC, but that's not it because all the companies have to build their own PCIe drivers for both Mac and, and Windows anyway. It was really about you know, our support and saying that, that we're going to be okay with it going forward. Right. Okay. That's really interesting. So um, we're, we're going to have to wrap things up kind of soon because, I, I, as I say, I've got a hard out. It's not you, Pete. I'm sure I can tell by the way that you are able to speak so fluently that uh, we could probably spend hours uh, discussing this, but I'm sure you've probably got a day job uh, to be getting on with as well. <laughs> um, so what's the current situation with Windows now? Um, people could get a free upgrade um, you know, if they're on Windows 7 up. Is that right? Yeah, so if you're on Windows 7 um, and you need one of the later service packs for that, so we need that machine to be patched, or Windows 8.1, which was, you know, most people who did Windows 8 uh, upgraded to Windows 8.1 anyway, um, then yes, Windows 10 is free as long as you upgrade sometime within the next year. Uh, and then it's free for the lifetime of that device. You know, we're not going to start charging for it a year down the road. Um, we're just trying to give folks incentive to upgrade sometime in the near future. So we've put a, you know, a time box on that of one year. Um, and then yeah, and, and what what about is, sorry? What ahead. about if I've got like a Raspberry Pi two or something? I'm thinking I wouldn't mind trying Windows on that um, or an embedded device, that sort of thing. Yeah. So the version of Windows, which is called Windows 10 IoT Core, that runs on Raspberry Pi, is completely free. Um, so that that'll always be free, or to the best of my knowledge, that'll always sure, be yeah, free. Sure. We have no plans to 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 charge for that right now. So yeah, that's worth trying out. And what's interesting is I've taken the same MIDI app. Like I, one of the demos I use uh, uses a, um, a Novation Launchpad. Uh, and I take that Novation Launchpad, I plugged it into a PC and I run the application there and it does some basic stuff. Then I unplug it and plug it into a Raspberry Pi and run the code over there. It's the same application, nothing else changes and it just completely works. Wow, that's pretty cool. And what about people who want to get into programming and they're thinking I'd like to kind of 
poke around and have a look what the what the MIDI API and the audio API allows me to do. Um, what what's the process for having access to that stuff then? Sure, it's it's all freely accessible to to folks. We have um, dev.windows.com is our kind of main site for development. Uh, and then I have, uh, you know, some example code up on like my GitHub and stuff. But folks can always reach out to me directly uh, if they're interested in doing Windows programming for audio or for MIDI or anything. Um, Twitter is a great way to, to get a hold of me. It's just at Pete underscore Brown there because somebody owns Pete Brown without the underscore. But wow, you still, you still must have got in early, though. <laughs> yeah, it's, so I got in there early enough on that. Um, so you can get a hold of me there, or if you have other issues or something that doesn't fit into 140 characters, uh, you can always email me. It's uh, pete.brown at microsoft.com, and I'm more than happy to answer that. Uh, if you email me and I don't get back to you in some reasonable amount of time, just ping me again, because we get a ridiculous amount of email at, at Microsoft, and sometimes I do miss things. And you just gave out your email address publicly, which means, you know, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do that because that is, <laughs> that's quite a commitment, even, you know, even uh, knowing that uh, that's going to be, I, I, maybe I'll leave that in the video and perhaps not that put that in the text of the supporting, uh, <laughs> the supporting podcast document. Yeah, when I put the text out there, I try to obscure it a little bit. So at least the bots don't get it. I, I don't mind being contacted by actual humans, though. So that's fine. Well, Pete, I, I really appreciate you coming to us. I, I, I'm sorry if uh, the guys in the chat room haven't been able to ask you, uh, ask all of your questions. I've tried to cover as much as I can as well. Um, so I do hope. Oh, there was one question, actually. Is yep. it going to be available on Boot Camp? Uh, there's, there's an OEM version of Windows for people who build PCs, um, which I don't know the price of it off the top of my head. And that's probably what you would end up using on Boot Camp um, because it didn't come with a device and it's not necessarily an upgrade. Although if you've got Windows 7 or 8.1 already running on Bootcamp, you might be able to upgrade. I've just, I've never tried. Okay. Well, that's why we because I mean that we run a lot of Macs here in PC mode anyway. Uh, so that's probably something I'll try anyway. But yes, once again, Pete, thank you very much for uh, for giving us your insight and information. Uh, your, your brain dump on Windows 10, I hope it's uh, answered uh, a bunch of your questions. And it's interesting, you know, for me, I can see that there is, there is a will and a commitment. I mean, you've got a, a particular group just dedicated to audio and MIDI, which I think is, you know, is a pretty big deal in an uh, organization the size of Microsoft. So, you know, that's all really good news, right? Yeah, it's it's been a long journey to kind of get there. And, and I'm sorry we were out of the space for a while, but we're, we're definitely interested in getting back into that and, and trying to make Windows 10 the best, uh, best OS for pretty much everybody and me personally for music producers. Brilliant. Okay, Pete, it's been a pleasure having you aboard. Thank you, everybody, for watching. That was our Sonic Talk special where we talked to Pete Brown on Microsoft. And uh, that's it. Thanks for watching.